Hey, welcome to the house. I'm glad you all came out on um, Lip Sync Night and Homecoming Week. Um, in honor of that, you guys might not have noticed, but that entire worship set that the worship team just did was all lip synced. It, it came off a CD and they lip synced it. Didn't they do a great job? Isn't that good? Um, how many of you all have ever been to Loopy's downtown or out on Hickson Pike? Loopy's Pizza Place? Okay. Only bad part about it is it um, is not open on Mondays. Just so you know, just so you know. But what's the best thing about Loopy's if you've been there? The calzones, exactly. The calzones are about the size of a football. I'm not kidding. So I want you to imagine this scenario with me. How many people are hungry right now, like physically right now? Okay, a few people. Okay, um, so I want you to imagine that you go to Loopy's and you order a calzone. With all your favorite toppings, it's like you got a financial aid check in the mail and you don't care that it's $1.50 for every topping or whatever. And so you get the football calzone, okay? But I don't know how many people can eat it all in one sitting. Maybe some of these guys right here could. But um, not many people can eat the entire calzone in one sitting. So what do you do? Are you going to throw it away? No, no. You pack it up in the to-go box and you take it back to your room. And you try to write on it with your fingernail, because you can't find a pen, that um, this is yours. So you know that the next day, you haven't gone grocery shopping in like seven weeks. So you, you know that when you come home from class the next day, that that calzone is in there, right? And your stomach's grumbling, like you, don't, you wake up in the morning, you don't eat breakfast, because you know, who's got time for breakfast, and you don't have any groceries anyway. So you are coming home from class, and all you can think about is throwing that calzone in the microwave, and you don't care if it gets a little squishy or whatever, but eating half of a football of, of a calzone for lunch, it just, it's going to make your day, and you're going you're gonna to watch whatever you watch at, at 12.30 or whatever, like Days of Our Lives or whatever, and, um, and, and you, you walk in the door, and you're, like, you're, you're, you're cruising out of class. You don't even like check your cell phone, which is like crazy, but you, you, you go straight to your place. You open up the door. You go straight to the fridge, and the calzone has been eaten by your roommate. Now, what is happening inside of you in that moment? What is happening inside of you in that moment? You, you have planned your entire day around this half of calzone. And your roommate ate it. You even wrote with your fingernail on it that it was yours. And they, they had to know it was yours. They hadn't gone to loopies. And they ate your, your calzone. Well, how does this tie into the Ten Commandments? Tonight's commandment is, you shall not murder. <laughs> You're sh you shall not murder. So half a calzone being eaten is not justification for you killing your roommate. Okay? You cannot low tier sa. Okay? Like T-S-A-H. Okay? Everybody say low tier sa. Look at that, you're speaking fluent Hebrew, and you're not even taking a class. Um, great job. So, here's the good news. It, it literally means, all, all, the, all that whole, you shall not murder, is that verse right there, lo tzirtzah, okay? And so you just that, did that whole verse right there in Hebrew. And what it means, that, that, that word literally means you can't premeditate and with intent kill somebody. That's what that word means. So, any of you that have not with intent, killed somebody, congratulations, you've never broken that commandment. So, way to go. Way to go. 
So that's it. Let's pray. All right. Wait a minute. Hold up for one second. Do you think that that's it? Can I just walk off the stage right now? I could. Some of you might like that, and you could still make it to the lip sync thing. That would be great, right? But here's a problem. The rest of the scriptures talk about what this might mean on a deeper level. You know, Jesus had people come to him saying that they'd fulfilled these commandments because they had that kind of understanding that says, you shall not murder, do not premeditatedly you know, kill somebody. We've obeyed that, so we're okay. He had people say, well, I've, I've, I've covered that one. I've done that my whole life. But Jesus had something different to say about this. I don't know how many of you, some of you that have been around the last couple of years have heard me say, and perhaps I've said it this semester, that Jesus is the most brilliant teacher of human nature and the human condition that has ever walked this earth. You might think that your biology professor or your psychology professor is wicked smart, but he has nothing on Jesus or she has nothing on Jesus. Jesus knows what we are like. And when he walked on this earth and began to teach, that if we were to, to dwell on his words as the very words of life, not just something for Sunday mornings or for Tuesday night or for your Bible study or for a mission trip or whatever, if you actually began to believe that dwelling and meditating and studying and diving into the words of Jesus would be worth far more than the 15 credits that you were taking this semester and who knows out-of-state or in-state tuition that you were paying. We, as a people, would walk more in the way that he wants us to. Let's look what he had to say out of Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And it says, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and those that, that do will be liable to judgment. But he says, I say to you, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the fire of hell. What is Jesus doing here? What is Jesus doing? He's taking the commandment, you shall not murder, and expanding it. What we need to know that right before this, he says, I did not come to abolish the law, but rather to fulfill it. And if we trust him with that, if we don't think that he was just rewriting the Old Testament, but in, in, indeed, if he was the very son of God who has created all things, all things were made through him and by him, and he knows us, and he is the most brilliant teacher to have ever walked this earth, then what he says right here are the words that we need to wrestle with when we're trying to understand Exodus 20, you shall not murder. And these are hard words. These are hard words that, that Jesus would say that, that if we become angry, we are not close to taking life. Maybe literally or metaphorically. That when we become angry, Jesus says that you will be liable to judgment. 
There was a, a, a Greek word means a dividing. There, there will be a, a, a judgment that comes to you. A, uh, there will be a discernment between what is right and what is wrong. When you become angry with your brother or with your sister, you will be judged. And then this council that he talks about, there, was, there were councils that, that oversaw relations between people. We saw in the Old Testament, actually, Moses and his, brother, and his uh, father-in-law talk about seeing these, these cases, right? If you ever read the Old Testament and Jethro tells Moses, Moses, you shouldn't hear all these cases. You should appoint some people to hear these for you. Jesus is referring back to that system that was still in place, that there were people that oversaw these kind of things. So that when you insult somebody, he says... You might as well be brought in front of the council. And then when you call somebody a fool, this word means empty-headed, idiot, stupid, you'll be in danger of the fires of hell. It sounds like exaggeration, doesn't it? I mean, because how many of us here have never gotten angry? I've never gotten angry with our roommate, our best friend, our boyfriend, our girlfriend, our mom, our dad, How many of us have dismissed somebody, calling them foolish and stupid, ridiculous, naive, ignorant? So these words should strike at us. Now, we have some choices when we hear them. You can say, well, that's ridiculous. I can't live up to that. And you're probably right. Or we can wrestle with them. If Jesus truly was this teacher and the very son of God coming to show us the path to life, then, then it would behoove us. It would, it would be wise for us to wrestle with what these mean. Because we start to learn that in the New Testament, Jesus isn't alone in this. He isn't alone at all in this. Uh, Max, can we put up the next slide? The apostle Paul picks up on the same thing, and not just in Ephesians, I'm just having this scripture read here, but, but after he's talking in this particular chapter about what the people of God, what followers of Jesus Christ, what their lives are supposed to look like. And he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, and then instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. In another letter, Paul uses language of putting off these things and instead putting on things like kindness and humility. How on earth would this be possible? How on earth would would it be possible for you to see your life if you are angered easily by little things, for that to actually change? Is that possible at all for God to change your heart that way? Or are we just expected to kind of live with this thing, these things that go on in us, and knowing that God forgives just kind of, he'll put up with it. Paul's not alone. Book of James says this. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, because the anger of man does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. In other words, James, I think, is saying that, that anger only can produce really bad things for the people of God. Did you know that they've done medical studies that 
if you suppress your anger and if you hold on to it, that you're at a much higher risk of high blood pressure. Interestingly, also, they've, they've determined that people that report high levels of anger in their life as daily occurrences, especially young men, are at much greater risk of developing um, premature cardiovascular disease. In other words, you're more likely to have a heart attack. And if that didn't get your attention, here's another one. They did a study of the effect of anxiety and anger on sexual desire. There's decreased sexual desire and performance when you're anxious and even more so when you're angry. So if those first two didn't motivate you, maybe that last one will. Anger, simply stated, kills. Our bodies are not meant to be temples of anger. So what do we do with this? We know it's difficult because there's something actually tempting and, and seemingly productive about, about anger. I love this quote by Frederick Buechner um, when he says this, of the seven deadly sins, Max, can we, there we go, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel, morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are going to give, in many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback, though, is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. The skeleton at the feast is you. Can we leave that slide up for a second? Because I think that there's something in us that anger makes us feel alive at times. Somebody cuts you off in traffic and you, you're going to show them by tailgating them. You're going to miss your exit for five exit because you want to somehow show them that you, you are not going to be the person that gets cut off in traffic. And you're thinking that if this person pulled over, everything that you would say, everything that you would do to them. And if it's, if it's, if it's not some stranger, it's, it's the person that said something to you in front of your group of friends and you didn't have a comeback at that moment. But boy, that night, mm, you came up with the best one ever. And you've been longing, you've been even praying to God that you could maybe have another opportunity because if you could just lay that one comeback down, life would be better. How many of us hold on to these things thinking, it, 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 in a way, it kind of feeds us exactly like Beekner said. We think that this, this, this anger, we're justified in it. We think that, that there's, there's something that, that it's even just for us to feel this way. But is it a good thing? You know, the best definition I heard of anger is, is basically anger is what results when our will is crossed. When our will is crossed. And I'll confess something to you. I've never considered myself an angry person until I had children. Because children will cross your will. You want to do something with your time. You want, to, uh, you want your weekend to look a certain way. You want to relax when you come home from work. You, you want the house to look a certain way. You want Children do not do that for you. And I can tell you that the reason why I speak with such passion and energy about this is that I feel like this is God's word for me. I've never noticed how much anger I had 
until there were constant obstacles in my life that were crossing my will. And I've never thought of myself as somebody that needed control until I felt out of control. And I began to ask myself some questions. I began to ask myself whether fighting for control and fighting for a um, spill-free dinner time, fighting for a clutter-free life, fighting for an interruption-free life, whether that was really worth it or whether learning to give up my will would be better for everybody. And I think that there is great wisdom, again, in the words of Jesus when he prayed in the garden, yet not my will, but yours be done. It's not just something for your coffee mug or for a Hallmark card. If we would begin to understand that life is not about us, it's not about getting what we want, it's not about exerting our will over things, but rather holding things loosely and learning to let God lead because he might know better. In fact, he does. But I still ask myself this question. Why did Jesus take this commandment and, and reinterpret it this way? Why did he take you shall not murder and begin to talk about anger? Well, I think it's because back then, religious people would take the words of God and they would debate them and they would interpret them and they would give you contexts for obeying it and they would teach it and then they, they would, re, you know, sometimes read the words for themselves but more often listen to teachers that talked about it. And, and Jesus knew that what had been passed on to the people that he was talking to had perhaps missed the original intent. You know, thank goodness that was only back then that that was true. You know what, though? We have the same problem. How many of us, our whole belief in God is made up of little snapshots of sermons or bumper stickers, phrases from devotionals that we have pulled together, and we have neglected ourselves to wrestle with the very words of God as he expressed them in the scriptures. Unless you walk away from here tonight feeling maybe guilty or angry, saying to yourself, I got enough to read, I got enough to do. You have no idea what my life looks like. That's not my message. My message, hopefully, is that to urge you, to encourage you, that there are words of life and that if you struggle at all, with anger, if you have had any instances lately where the smallest thing just makes you snap, you push it down, you push it down, you push it down, and then the, the next time your roommate leaves the dishes in the sink, you go crazy. The next time the laundry is not moved to the dryer, the next time that somebody takes your parking space, the next time you spill your coffee and you lose it, there's a problem. And it doesn't have to be that way in your life. This is going to sound strange. I think I've mentioned it before. 
And I had to have a teacher teach me about these things. It doesn't sound like this would have anything to do with anger, but the more that we pull away for a moment and get quiet before God, alone before him, the more we embrace silence and solitude in our life, the more that the pressures of this world and the people we live with will not have that effect on us. Because when in silence and solitude, you understand, as we just sang, how much he loves us, how much you are loved and cherished, you can re-enter the world into a place where those things may not bother you like they once did. Studying these words, pulling away from the world in silence and solitude, you may, 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 you